Amen. Amen. That is good. Hey, you know, if you appreciate the worship we have every week, you know, I don't do this very rarely, but I want to thank the guys, Jordan and the team. Tell you what, they do a great job. They put in a lot of work. The guys back there in the booth, I'll tell you what, it's some of the best worship around because they're worshiping. That's what makes it real, right? They're not just performing. They're up here worshiping. Um, Ephesians 4, we read these uh, powerful, alive and active words that Paul penned 2,000 years ago to the church in Ephesus. He writes, uh, when I think of all of this, think of what? Well, what Paul has been writing to the church about God's grace and how we're, we're saved by grace and not by works, he's been writing to them about the spread of the gospel and about the purpose of the church to display God's glory. He's been writing to them about how each of them are a masterpiece of God put on display for the world to see. And, and he's talked about how because of Jesus that, that we're able to come into the, the, the very presence of God. And so Paul says, when I think of all this, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is, and to experience this love for yourself. Though it is so great that you'll never see the end of it, or fully know it, or understand it. And so at last you will be filled up with God himself. May God bless the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? God, we love you, and we stand in all of your mercy and your grace. You are a good, good father. That's who you are. That's who you are. And God, we're so amazed and so thankful that we in this room are loved by you. And God, I pray that your love would become a little bit more real for each of us today and that we experience that love and begin to understand, Lord, just, just how how long and how wide and how deep and how high your love really is. And, and God, just enable me, Lord, uh, to help people, to help myself get a glimpse of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to the fifth Sunday of the year 2017, and welcome to week one of our very first sermon series of the year, Getting Better at What Jesus Said Matters Most. 2,000 years ago, during the, uh, the final week of Jesus' life, just days before his arrest, crucifixion, and death, he was asked a question by a religious leader. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, now the, the guy was asking him the question to test Jesus, to trip him up, right? There's like 617 commandments, and Jesus is supposed to pull out one and have everybody agree with it, you know? And, uh, but regardless of the guy's motives, I am so glad that he asked the question because now you and I know the answer as to what is most important. The most important one, answer Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And Matthew adds Jesus saying, all the law and all the prophets, the 617 commands, the one the, the 110,000 words of the prophets, all this hang on these two commandments. Yeah, apparently, this, this love thing is, is, is like pretty huge. In fact, Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth where, where he basically said that, that, you know, without love, if we gave all the money that we had, if we knew the Bible backwards and forwards, memorized books of the Bible and all that stuff, and, and we, even if we gave up our body in sacrifice, he said that, hey, without love, it, it means nothing. Without love, we gain nothing. Without love, it's just a bunch of noise. Maple Grove, what would happen? What would your life look like if you actually got better at loving God, loving others, and loving yourselves? I, I mean, would it make a difference in how you live? Would it would it make a, a difference in your, in your inner being? What would people notice? Would our world feel its impact? Would you finally begin walking in the newness and fullness of life that Jesus promised? Would you get a little bit better in here? If you got better at loving God and loving people and loving yourself? I mean, after all, Jesus said that all the law and all the prophets hang these commands and that loving God and Loving others and loving yourself is the most important thing. But how do we actually do them? How do we actually live them out? I mean, how do we practically and tangibly love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And how do we love others and love ourselves in a way that God intends? Well, Maple Grove, the journey to those answers begins right now, right here today. And like I said a few weeks back, I have absolutely no idea how long this journey will take. I'm thinking I know it's going to take us at least to Palm Sunday, April the 9th. I don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know all the places that it will take us to, but I'm convinced that it will be an exciting, sometimes difficult, and at times a little terrifying ride. However, when all is said and done, and when the dust settles, I am confident it will be a valuable, worthwhile, and life-changing journey. Amen? Okay, here's a brief outline of where I think, or I think, it's still early, where we'll be heading in this series. First, we're going to unpack what is far too often the missing, forgotten, and for the most part ignored part of this commandment. Not missing from our Bibles, but far too often it's missing from our lives, the command to love ourselves. You see, I'm convinced, and I'm becoming more convinced all the time, that the reason so many good people people who are really trying hard to do the right thing, people who are jumping through all of the Christian hoops. They go to church on Sundays. They read their Bibles. They're in a small group. They serve. They bring their 10% each week. But they fall short in loving God and loving others well is because they do not really love themselves. And second, we'll unpack what it means, what it looks like. And I'm excited about this because I don't really know yet, totally, (laughs) To actually and practically love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. And we'll also talk about why this God of ours is so worthy of that kind of love. And then we'll wrap up by talking about loving our neighbors. You know, who's our neighbor and how how do we love them? Listen, listen. You, me, Maple Grove, we're about to get better. 
at what Jesus said matters most. And now this morning's conversation is called How, How Deep the Father's Love, and it's kind of based on what I call the 419 principle. John writes in his first letter, fourth chapter, 19th verse, he says this, we love because he first loved us. And, and, and here's what I, I want us to do. Um, your line will be because he first loved us, all right? My line will be we love. And, 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 uh, and so do your line on three, uh, practice, one, two, three. Okay, awesome, okay? We'll do it three times and we'll move on. But we love we love, we love, we love, understand we love, we love God, we love our neighbors, we love ourselves because God loved us first. You see, the starting line for the journey of getting better begins with the Father's love. Now, there's five things I want to say about the Father's love this morning, and I want you to know up front that this is by no means an exhaustive list because God's love, it's huge. I mean, it's bigger and bolder and brighter than our finite minds could ever understand or comprehend. It's so great, as Paul wrote, that we will never see the end of it. But nevertheless, I'm convinced that the five truths we're going we're gonna to unpack this morning have the potential of making a huge difference in our lives and will help kick off our journey of getting better at what Jesus says matters most. And listen, when we get better at loving God and loving our neighbors and loving ourselves. When we get better at loving God, loving our neighbors, and loving ourselves, we will get better. We will get better. Our lives, our inner being, our souls will get better. Get it? Good. And now the truths I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to unpack this morning, they're not new. You've probably heard them before. But, but, but here's the deal. If you allow him to, God will make them new and fresh. And before you know it, you will find yourself plunging the depths of the Father's love. First, God's love is a love that is beyond all reason. Beyond all reason. You, you know, I, I can still remember the, the days when each of my children discovered that three-letter word that all two to three-year-olds find and all parents dread. Anybody know what that three-letter word is? Why? I mean, I can still remember as an adult saying such things as, you can't eat the wax candle. Why? It's time to go to bed. Why? Don't throw the batteries into the toilet. Why? Stop jumping off the table. Why? Don't shove those beads up your nose. Why? And my oldest son did and went to the emergency room. <laughs> Couldn't get him out. Stop hitting the window with the broom. Why? You can't pee in the front yard, at least in the daylight. Why? You can't ride your big wheel in front of a car. But dad, I'm really, really fast. Question, why did two-year-olds ask why all the time? I think for many reasons, because it's fun. Number two, because they know it drives us insane, right? And in their devious minds, they know that. And number three, because they simply don't get it. It doesn't make sense because in their mind, what we're saying is beyond all reason. It, it, the dots don't connect. And you know, as I read of and reflect on the love of God that I see 
vividly displayed on the pages of scriptures, I find myself going back to that same little three-letter word that two-year-olds love to say, a word that pretty much sums up the entire thing, why? I mean, the Father's love, it doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense, it's not logical, it's not reasonable, and none of the dots connect. Why does God act so crazy? Why does he give so much? Why does God continue to pursue such a rebellious and prodigal people? Why does God continue to welcome, turn to, bless, forgive, extend his mercy, grace, and love uh, the people who constantly turn from him, reject him, ignore him, who so often decide to walk away from him and to live a life like the prodigal in Luke 15 in a distant land far away from him? Brothers and sisters, why does God do all of that and more for people who doubt him, who choose sin over him, who, who, who fear and love things more than him, who break promises to him? Why do God do things for people who are so stained, so flawed, so falling, so broken, and so rebellious? Why? I got to admit, it doesn't make sense. It's beyond all reason. And listen, part of the reason why God's love is so hard for you and I to wrap our brains around is because God's love is unconditional. And the reason you and I have such a hard time wrapping our brains around unconditional love is because we are much more familiar and have had much more experience with unconditional love, evil twin, conditional love. You know, a love that only loves because of what it gets in return? A love that we constantly fail to measure up to? Have you ever loved conditionally? Have you ever been loved conditionally? I have. I mean, when I say I love McDonald's fries, and I love my car, and I love chocolate, it's conditional, right? Because if a McDonald's fries started tasting like Burger King fries, Right? If my car broke down, and if chocolate suddenly one day turned into onions, right, I, I would no longer love those things. You see, I love them because of what they get back to me. Now, most of you know that I am a New England Patriots fan. And most of you know I'd find some way to work this into the sermon, right? Okay. <laughs> and I did. All right? Super Bowl 51 coming up. All right. And uh, Jersey Sunday, wear your jerseys, favorite sports team. I'll be sporting a jersey up here as well. And... and uh, but I got to be honest here, you know, they're a really good team. And if they suddenly became like the worst team, I'm not so sure I'd stick with them. And I know what some of you are thinking, hashtag not a real fan, right? I know. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. But I, I'm just being honest. I mean, I like what they give me. I like victory. So I'm and, you know, sometimes, though I don't like to admit it, I love people conditionally. I love them because they act the way I want them to act, because they do the things I want them to do, because they give me stuff that I need or that I want. I love them because they make me feel happy or they make me feel good about myself. I love them because they love me. See, we all at times have loved conditionally, and we've been loved conditionally. And the good news is that God's love is unconditional. It is beyond all reason. About 600 years, a fiery nun in the 14th century said it about as well as anyone ever has about why the Father does all this crazy stuff in regards to me and you. She wrote, 
Oh, eternal, infinite God, oh, mad lover. And you have need of your creature? It seems so to me. For you act as if you could not live without her. In spite of the fact that you are life itself and everything has life from you and nothing can have life without you, why then are you so mad? Because you are falling in love with what you have made. You clothe yourself in our humanity, and nearer than that, you could not have come. Though God's love for us will always be beyond understanding. It will never, it's unconditional, it'll never make complete sense to us. I mean, that's why Paul is praying that prayer for the church in Ephesus. May you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should. I don't know about you, I'm a parent, I got five kids, I want my kids to know that they love me, right? Wouldn't it be terrible if your kids didn't know? I mean, you don't know that I love you? I mean, that would like rip my heart out. And my kids thought, I'm not even sure that you love me, Dad. I'm not sure that you love me, Mom. May you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should. That's including me and you, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourself, though it is so great, you'll never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And listen, this morning, this moment could be the day that many of us in this room, maybe even you, where, where, we, where we stop questioning God's love, where we, quite, where we stop saying why. God, God, why would you love someone messed up like me? God, why would you love me when I keep breaking your promises? God, why would you love me when I keep turning away from you? And I love, why? Maybe the day is the day we, hey, I'm going to stop questioning and saying why, and I'm going to start embracing and accepting his love. Amen? Eric Manis writes these words. What in the world would happen if people actually began discovering the actual message of Jesus Christ? That love is unconditional. What would happen if we begin to realize that God was not in fact waiting for us to earn his love, but that he was passionately pursuing us with his love? Well, what would happen if the word got out that Jesus was offering his love freely and without condition? Next, the Father's love is a love that delights in us. Zephaniah, the prophet, writes these words, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isaiah 62, verse 5, as a man rejoices over his new wife, so the Lord rejoices over you. I understand, God does not love you out of obligation or duty. His love for you is not an in spite of kind of love. You know where God gets close to you and finds out that you're kind of smelly? And he holds his nose and decides to accept you anyway? No. That's not how God loves you. You are not a booby prize that God is stuck with for all eternity. You see, God doesn't love you because he has to. God loves you because he wants to. In fact, God delights in you. He rejoices over you as a man rejoices over his new wife. God loves you not because of what you do or don't do. He loves you because of who you are. And listen, his love for you, when you begin to plunge its depths, will, as Zephaniah wrote, he will quiet you with his love. It's going to be all right. It's hard. It's difficult. It's not so good right now. But God loves me. God loves me. 
You'll rejoice over you with singing. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that God delights in everything we do. But listen, the fact that you exist is a very good thing in God's eyes. And his face lights up every time you walk in the room. I love how Lewis Meads puts it. It may be a very bad it may be a very bad thing that I needed God to die for me. But it's a wonderful thing that God thinks I'm worth dying for. Paul said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ felt that we were worth dying for. If you would, tell the person to your right and left, look them in the eye and tell them, you are worth dying for. And now if you would, if you would, look them in the eye again and and say, I am worth dying for. And, and, and I don't know about you, I, I find one of those easier to do than the other. And that's why next week we begin unpacking the fact that you and I need to learn how to love ourselves. In the Psalms, David speaks of being the apple of God's eye. Now that little phrase, apple of your eye, is pretty cool, and it's used several times in Scripture, and it's based on what happens when you look at a person in the eye at point-blank range. And when you do that, you see an image, a reflection of yourself in the eyes of that person, right? But what it's saying is, guess what? When you look into the eyes of God, you're going to see what God is so fixated on. And what God is fixated on is you and you and you. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the apple of God's eye. You are the apple of God's eye. David writes, show the wonder of your great love. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Keep looking at me. (laughs) Keep watching. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. The Father's love is a love beyond all reasons. It's a love that delights in you, and it's a love that is for you. I understand when you love someone, it means that it means that you're in their corner, that you're on their team. It means that you want to see them realize their full potential, become everything that God wants them to be. Right? When you're for somebody. And, and this is so good. God. Where is, where is James Earl Jones when you need him? God. Right? God. God. Right? God. The King of glory, the Lord of all creation, is not just with you. God is for you. God is on your team. God is in your corner. God celebrates your victories, and God mourns your setbacks. And God, most definitely, regardless of where your life is at this moment, mountain high or valley low, hopeful or hopeless, faithful or unfaithful, fallen or standing, God most definitely has plans, dreams, thoughts, and intentions for your life. Hey, check out the fallen scripture. Yeah, you probably heard them before, but hear them again as they echo the depths of the Father's love for you. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece. For you are God's masterpiece. For you are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew, 
in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things he planned for you long ago. Maple Grove, the God, the Father is for you and has awesome plans for your life, plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope and a future, plans to create you anew in Christ Jesus, plans to, to put your life on display in the great museum of this world as a masterpiece of how life can be lived in him. Plans for you to do all the good things he planned for you long ago. Tell the person to your right and left, look in the eye and tell them, God is for you. And, and, and now let them know, tell them, God is for me. God is for me. Yes, God is for us. And whenever I think about God being for us, I, I always have to think of what Paul penned to the church in Rome in chapter 8 of the book to them. When he says, what then shall we say in response to this? To all the junk and garbage of life that smacks us. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nobody, nothing, no situation. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. He's, well, Paul's saying, hey, look, if God did this, I mean, why you doubt him now that you're a believer? If when you were his enemies, if he, he gave up his son and had his son die for you, it, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also? Along with him, graciously, graciously give us all things. Yes, God's love for you is a for you kind of love. But listen, to say that God is for you does not mean that God always does what you want him to do. Because being for someone means more than simply wanting them to have everything that they want and having them never experience pain. Now understand, if we're really for someone, if I'm really for someone, I'm willing to to risk saying painful things or allowing them to experience pain if that pain will help them grow. The Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. And I love what this passage in Peter from the Message Bible. You call out to God for help and he helps. He's a good father that way. But don't forget, he's also a responsible father. And he won't let you get by with sloppy living. See, God is for you. And that's why God will not let you get by with sloppy living. God is for you, and that's why God will not let you get by with living a life that is less than the life he created you to live. Get it? Good. The Father's love is a love that pays attention. Picture the scene. A couple sits at the breakfast table. One spouse, let's say the husband is you know, is buried in his iPhone, reading the Drudge Report, Fox News, CNN, or NFL.com, right? Or the Boston Globe, checking out the Patriots, right? Okay, and, and, and the wife is pouring out her heart. Finally, she says, you're not listening to me. He says, hey, I can repeat back every word that you said. And then he proceeds to do just that. Question, is she satisfied? No way. Understand, she doesn't simply want him to replay the words. I've done that. It doesn't work. A tape recorder can do that. Instead, what she wants is for him to be fully present. She wants him to put down the stinking phone, right? To look in the eye and pay attention to her. Being heard is not enough. People want your attention. 
In fact, attention is so valuable that we don't give attention, we what? We pay attention. Attention is one of the most powerful forces in the world. Along with food and water, a baby needs the attentive gaze of a human face. A baby lays in the crib where first service Gabriel was laying on the back pew, laying up there, looking up there, and I'm smiling at him, and he's smiling back at me. See, a baby lays down, and he smiles, and the face above him smiles back, and the baby is like, hey, somebody notices me. My life counts. I matter. See, it's hard for a child to survive healthy without attention. We all need attention. In his book, Love Beyond Reason, John Ortberg has a chapter called Love Pays Attention. He writes, one of the great miracles of life is that God pays attention to us. This is partly why the writers of Scripture speak so often of God's face. This is the hope of the great priestly blessing that God himself taught the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. He goes on. To turn your face towards someone is to give that person your wholehearted, undivided attention. It is not the casual listening of a preoccupied mind. It's a statement, I have nothing else to do. Nowhere else I'd rather be. I'm fully devoted to being with you. This is the kind of attention God lavishes on us. It gets better. This blessing says that God will not only turn his face toward us, but he will make his face shine on us. The shining face is an image of delight. It's the face of a proud parent beaming while a child plays in her first piano recital. It's the radiant face of a bride as she walks down the aisle to her groom. We can turn our face toward, pay attention to anyone with little effort, but our faces shine and beam and grow radiant only in the presence of those we love most deeply. And this says the prayer is how God loves you. You make God's face shine and grow radiant. And check out what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. You've looked down into my heart, deep. Lord, you know all about me. You know when I'm resting or when I'm working. You notice everything I do and everywhere I go. God pays attention to you. He never takes his eyes off of you. In fact, God never stops thinking about you. Have you ever wondered, does anyone care? Does anyone notice? Do I matter? Is anyone paying attention to me? The Father answers, I am. I'm paying attention. I see you. The Father's love is a love beyond all reason. The Father's love is a love that delights in you, that is for you, and that pays attention to you and constantly pursues you. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul lets us in a little secret that God has pursued you from further than space and longer than time. I understand, God, God has had you in mind since the foundation of this world. He's loved you from the beginning of time. Now hear these words from the one who pursues you. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had you in mind. He had settled on you as the focus of his love. He made whole and holy by his love. Long ago, he decided to adopt you into his own family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted you to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. He thought of everything, provided for everything you could possibly need, letting you in on the plans he took such delight in making. 
He set it all out before you in Christ. A long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven and everything on planet earth. It's in Christ that you find out who you are and what you are living for. Long before you first heard of Christ and got your hopes up, he had his eye on you. Had designs on you for gracious living. Part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. Amen. As you flip through the pages of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you see a lover in relentless pursuit of the one he loves. You see a passionate God in pursuit of a prodigal people. You see a relentless father pursuing the children that he loves. Understand, and please hear me, there is a beauty There is a value in you that is so deep, so real, that it causes God to pursue you with reckless abandon. There is something about you that causes God to act like a jealous lover. There is something about you that causes God to launch the greatest campaign in human history to to get you back. There's something about you that causes God to lay siege on both the kingdom of darkness and our own little kingdoms in order to bring you back home. There is something about you that caused God to send his son for your sins so that you could be with him forever. And I, I, I pray I'm making sense here. I, I, I pray that I pray that what God wants you to hear that is coming across. Again, you are not a booby prize that God gets stuck with for all eternity. No, in God's eyes, you are the pursued one. You are the sought after one. You are the one worth leaving all the glories of heaven for one. You are the one worth fighting for. You are the one worth dying for. And brothers and sisters, God's pursuit of you and then his love for you is like the waves of the sea. They just keep coming and coming and coming. And listen, hear me, if you let them, if you let them wash over you, they will give you a new identity. I love what Brandon Mann writes in his awesome book, Abba's Child. I love this. It is real good. I, I don't know how you define yourself today. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is illusion. You see, I'm totally convinced that before you can really love God, others, and ourselves, before you can really love God, others, and yourself, you must begin to plunge the depths of God's love for you. I understand Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is my prayer for myself, is my prayer for you, and my prayer for this church. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. 
and to experience this love for yourself. Question, why is it so important to feel loved by God? Because it's hard to give love when you've not received love. And, and that's why the starting line for getting better, and I didn't know it was the starting line till this week, but that's why the starting line for getting better at what Jesus said matters most is for you to experience God's love for yourself. In one of his books, Max Lucado writes these words, we preachers have been guilty of skipping the first step. Love each other, we tell our churches. Be patient, kind, forgiving, we urge. But instructing people to love without telling them they are loved is like telling them to write a check without making a deposit into their accounts. No wonder so many relationships are overdrawn. No wonder so many hearts have insufficient love. Brothers and sisters, I do not want to do that. I understand the last thing I want is for this series to become bur another burden to you. And listen, if I were simply to say, all right, you guys need to shape up. You need to shape up. You're terrible. You need to love God better. Come on. You need to love others better. What's wrong with you? If I did that, Without making a deposit into your account, all I would be doing is heaping yet another burden upon your life. I don't want to do that. And that's why it's so important for me to make some deposits into your account first. And that's why I'm beginning this conversation of getting better at what Jesus said matters most by inviting you to really dive in and begin to plunge the depths of God's love for you. That's why I'm beginning by inviting you to define yourself in a new way. To define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is illusion. Man, who are you? You are God's beloved. That's who you are. You are God's beloved. We love because he first loved us. Again, the starting point for getting better at what Jesus said matters most is to let your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. I understand it. As a tree draws nutrients from the soil, we draw nourishment from the, the Father's love. Question, what happens if a tree has no contact with the soil? Now, uh, we see an illustration of this every year, right? You know, somewhere around the first of the year, families go to our Christmas tree, they take off, the ornaments, they take off the lights, they got a real tree in there, and they take that tree and they take it to the curb. Question, when you look down at the floor after that journey to the curb, what is lining your floor? Anybody know? Needles everywhere, all over the place. Why? Because four weeks rooted in a, in a plastic bowl rather than soil had a pretty bad effect on that tree. It became brittle, fragile, easy to fall apart. Question. Are you finding it hard to love God, and love others, and love yourself? Has your love ever become brittle and fragile and easy to fall apart? Do you ever get frustrated at your ability to love well? Did you think that when we began this series about Hey, we got to love God and love others. Great. Here's something else I'm going to fail at. 
Understand, the answer to getting better is not for you to try harder, but to dive deeper into the soil of God's marvelous love for you, right? To root your life in God's love. Some of you are just, you're, you're rooted wrong. don't root your life on things, on people, on relationships, on success, on money, on what you do, what people say about you, on your sins and your failures. No, 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 no. You need to root your life in the soil of God's marvelous love. And you need to define yourself radically as one, define yourself radically, radically as one beloved by God. This is your true self. Every other identity is illusion. Brothers and sisters, the Father loves you more than you could ever imagine. Right now, where you are, who you are. Right now. Before you change anything, right? Right now, where you are and who you are. You're loved powerfully, personally, and practically by the creator of the universe. And God's love for you is a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. His love for you never gives up on you, never loses faith on you, faith in you. His love for you always protects, always trusts. His love for you always hopes, always perseveres, never fails. Crazy, yes. Beyond all reason, absolutely. But so, so, so true. God loves you. You know, this weekend, our, our faith comes from hearing we were reading in John chapter 18 and 19 and Jesus' arrest, and, and I've read those hundreds of times before. And sometimes I just like read over them, right? Okay, okay, got arrested, died, rose again. Wah, 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 right? Been there, done that, read that. And, and fortunately this week, you know, God kind of gifted me something where I actually felt it. And, 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 and I was thinking like, okay, like they're slapping God. This is a man. They are slapping God in the face. They are beating God. They're taking a crown on the thorns and putting it on God. They're putting a purple robe around God and mocking him. Hail, King of the Jews. And I'm like, what? Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And I posted on my Facebook and said, Read John 18, 19, totally blown away to the point of tears by what Jesus endured and what the Father allowed because they both love me so much. You know, it, it must be pretty insulting to them when I doubt that love. Hashtag getting better. Hashtag what Jesus says matters most. And, and I'm, a, I, I'm, I'm odd and I got to live with that. Um, and in my journal, by the way, Jordan makes the best journals right here. Wood journal right here. Good stuff. If you ever want to knock on wood while you're reading the Bible, you got wood right with you. Okay. Uh, but a lot, a lot of times in my journals, I, I, I'll write like what I think God wants to say to me at that time. You know, and I think, okay, God, you want to say something to me? I'm going to write it out. And here's what, after I'm like, God, why are you doing this? I, I don't get it. Why would you do that for me? I'm so screwed up. I mess up all the time. Why would you do that? And he wrote, Steve, this is how much I love you. He even underlined to you. (laughs) This is how much you mean to me, Steve. This is how much I want to be with you forever, Steve. 
You really matter to me. I love you, Stephen Miles Malone. Please believe it more. Your father. How deep the father's love for you, for you, and for you. Would you all stand and pray with me? Father, we... God, we are amazed that you would know us and that you would, as we sang a while ago, that you would see our heart yet extend your grace. And God, help us to know, despite what we feel, despite the lies people have spoken to us and about us that we've even said to ourselves, help us to know that you love us right now. And that your love for us is so deep. And Father, I just pray for those, Lord, who are just struggling with that. And Lord, I I pray you help them erase all those tapes over the years. Things people said to them that make them think that they were unlovable, not worth loving, God. And they would realize that you, the creator of the universe, that you love them right now, right here today. And God, help us as we sing about the death of your love just to celebrate it, Lord. And help us, Lord, though we will never comprehend it, Lord, help us to begin to try to embrace it and to plunge the depths of it. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray you help us and enable us to experience your love for us like never before. Amen.